Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. And we're asking the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? All right. Well, it's another week. We had a really good conversation with Stacy. That was our first episode. People seem to really like it. And yeah. people are liking the new the new segments. Yeah, apparently so. We're gonna keep the keep try to keep those up. We're we're toying with the idea of also making some of the segments be standalone things, kind of for the reason of so the episodes don't get too long. Yeah. Um, and also just for extra content, you know, during the week in between episodes and stuff, since we're not releasing every week, keep everybody happy. So coming up on a future episode. Helen Green from the Recovering from Religion, she's going to be on an upcoming episode to talk about what they do. It's a really cool organization for people who are questioning. And like Stacy mentioned on our previous episode, they're not trying to steer people to you know deconvert, but they provide people with resources um, who are you know coming out of religion. They've got questions, they all that kind of stuff. So we're going to talk with her in an upcoming episode, which is going to be pretty exciting. So stay tuned for when that's coming out. It'll be in the next few weeks. Data nuggets. Let's get into our our new favorite segment called data nuggets, and you've got a good one. Yeah. All right. So the current pope, who is Pope Pope Francis, right? I think so. Is he still a pope? Yeah. Yes. I, I think he is. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> My mother-in-law was very disappointed that I didn't know who the Pope was. Oh, really? Oh, is your mother-in-law Catholic? Uh-huh, oh. yeah. Oh, interesting. They're very Catholic. Yeah, we went out to eat on Friday, last Friday, and I yeah. got chicken, and Doug got a burger, and Blake got a burger. And Oh, you didn't get fish on Friday? No, <gasps> you're sitting there like looking at us like, you're eating meat on a Friday? But uh, whatever. They did know you we're be, not Catholic. Did you like, remind them, like, hey, newsflash, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but fish are meat. I don't care what anyone it, says. Fish is totally meat. Stop yeah. that shit. Like, and it anyway. used to be every Friday in the whole year until yeah. like the 60s when the Pope was like, nah, nah. just Lent. <laughs> just during Lent. Yeah. Well, that's a really good segue into this data nugget. Yes. So the current Pope, Pope Francis, has spoken about climate change as a real problem, like not a conspiracy theory. He's not a science denial guy. He actually wants to address it. And I think this is great. It is really good to have a voice out there who is a proponent for clean energy and such. All right. So Catholics, they believe that the Pope is divinely chosen, not necessarily that God like specifically picked that person, but that the electoral process was guided by God. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole, it's an interesting process. If you ever watch like that ceremony, like where the smoke comes out of the thing, it's like, that's how I've you know. Never. Oh, you've really? never watched it? No. It's actually really fascinating. Like there's millions of people in the square in Italy, you know, or in the Vatican City, which is its own abode in Italy. But yeah, they do this thing and they're waiting and the people are waiting and waiting for the smoke to come out of the top of the chapel. I believe that that is the symbol of like, okay, this Pope has been confirmed as God's chosen person. Then he comes out on the balustrade and the people are there. You've never seen this before? No. Oh, it's wild because it's the most amount of people you've ever seen. It looks like you're at like Glastonbury, like Koth's concert. It's like millions of people like out in the wow. square. It's insane. All right. Well, if there's millions of people who are tuning in for that, yeah. <laughs> so if the Pope has the highest earthly authority, if the Pope says it, they should believe it, right? They should follow it. These That's millions of people are there waiting for the smoke. Yeah. They're going to be listening to what the Pope is saying. All right. So the data says that Catholic views vary by political party, race and ethnicity, and age. Hmm. So by party, 82% of Catholics who are Democrats or lean Democrat say that global climate change is an extremely or very serious problem. 
Right. But just a quarter of Republican or Republican-leaning Catholics say the same. That's a huge difference. That is a really big difference. Yeah, 82% versus 25%. So then by race and ethnicity, 71% of Hispanic Catholics see climate change as an extremely or very serious problem, compared with 49% of white non-Hispanic Catholics. Still a pretty big uh, separation there. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And there were not enough um, Black or Asian Catholics to analyze them separately. Hmm. So by age, Catholics who are 18 to 49 are somewhat more likely than those who are 50 and older to express a high level of concern about climate change. And that's 61% versus 53%. No surprise, right? Yeah. Younger people are a little more environmentally conscious, right? Right, right. So this breakdown by party, race, ethnicity, and age pretty much mirrors what we see in the overall American population. And we see in the American population that opinions about climate change are strongly tied to political party. Mm-hmm. We're going to do some math here. Catholics are roughly sp- split evenly between both parties, and there are 51 million adult Catholics, which means that there are 25.5 million Catholics that are Republican. 75% of them say that climate change is not a serious problem. So that's 19 million Catholics who say that yeah. climate change is not a serious problem. Now we have the Pope saying Climate change is a serious problem, guys. We need to do something about it. If these 19 million people truly believed in the claims of Catholicism and that the Pope is guided by God, theoretically, these 19 million people should flip like overnight, right? Yeah. From science deniers to like being all in on renewable energy and cycling, electric cars, composting, phasing out fossil fuels, whatever. What do you think about that? Well, it, it kind of reinforces the idea that like people say that they're serious about their faith and their religion until it conflicts with something that is actually more of who well, who their identity is, which th- this is somewhat a little bit of my perception of Catholics in general and my experience with Catholics. I've known some very devout Catholics, but their belief system is almost like entirely separate from the rest of their life, which is a little bit different than like devout evangelical Christians where like their religion is their identity. But Catholics mm. seem to have like an ability to like separate their religion from other things. Like, yeah, I mean, think about like silly stereotypes. Like if I say the stereotype Catholic schoolgirl, what do you think of? Slutty. Right, exactly. And which is not what you should associate Catholic schoolgirl who goes to a Catholic high school, you know, and is learning catechism and is learning the Bible and, you know, all that kind of stuff. That's not what you should associate with it. But Catholics, by and large, like a lot of the Catholics that I know, yeah, they go to church on Sunday, but they don't. There's not like an internalization of the Catholic stuff into the rest of their life. So if you're a hard leaning Republican, but you claim Catholicism, which I find it actually interesting that the numbers are evenly split in the Catholic Church. Like, yeah, I know that's really interesting. So, yeah, it kind of reinforces that idea of like if your political party is more of who you are, then that trumps your religious beliefs. So you know? the political identity trumps the religious identity. Yeah. And I think that's very common amongst Catholics. And I could be wrong. So if you're Catholic and you're listening to this, I would love to be rebutted or whatever, because I yeah. think people believe they're in their faith strongly, like good devout Catholics believe in their faith strongly. Um, but for for whatever reason, it doesn't translate into the like rabid fundamentalism like Protestant Christianity does. Yeah, I have known a few, like especially in college, I met a lot of very enthusiastic Catholics. Mm-hmm. 
they were all about Catholicism. So I do think there is an element of that. But yeah. you're right. I think there's a lot of like very like obligatory Catholics they go because it's their the way they were raised. Right. They don't necessarily internalize all of the dogma and the ideology. Yeah. It's really interesting. It just also kind of goes to show how identity politics has gotten so Yeah kind of black and white now too, like where that even like your religion isn't powerful enough to overtake your political biases or your political leanings. So yeah, well, I hope maybe just a little bit of these people will come to the environmental side. Yeah, that, that'll help. Like, I, I'd be curious, uh, maybe we can find a data nugget about this about like deconstruction amongst Catholics. What does that mm. look like? Yeah, are they deconstructing? Yeah, are they deconstructing? Because that would be an interesting interesting thing to find out. Yeah, we'll post the link to this um, data nugget. It's, of course, from Pew Research Center, which is like the source of yes, most of our data because they do really good comprehensive work. So yeah, it's not a bug. It's a feature. But it kind of leads into our second segment, which is it's not a bug. It's a feature. And somebody actually suggested this topic on the Facebook group, Dangerous Questions. So thank you. Alan was, I think, the one who suggested this. His question was about conspiracy theories and why religious people are more prone to believe in conspiracy theories like QAnon, you know, the COVID vaccine theories and a lot of the stuff that happened during COVID. Um, and it kind of lines up with that same thing about your like political identity yeah, and sure how does. that stats line up. So there's a couple different links we'll post from some surveys. This is kind of data re- you know, related as well, but I found this crazy of a stat of that four out of 10 religious Americans didn't accept the re- the results of the 2020 election. And that's just religious Americans. That's that's a real broad category. But it shows kind of like, a, I don't know what kind of chart you call this, but it's like a graph where, you know, the colors kind of shift left and right. But it, But they list a couple of different conspiracy theories that are popular. One of them is about the illegal votes that allegedly were cast during the 2020 election. And of white evangelicals, almost 70% of white evangelicals believed that there were millions of illegal votes that were cast in the election. This blew my mind. Yeah. In everyone else, it was about 30, looks like about 30%, 32% maybe. That's still high. But yeah. Which is still a huge number. But it's a like, big difference between but yeah, the two. But almost 70 to almost basically 35%. And then the other conspiracy theory that was popular is the government is using the COVID-19 vaccine to microchip the population. In the regular population, it was under 20%. In the white evangelical population, it was like 35%. Uh, Another one is vaccines have been shown to cause autism, which is another popular thing that people like to get into. Do people still believe that? I thought that was like way in the past. No, people still believe it. That's still a thing? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So in the regular general population, it's about 18%. And then in the white evangelical population, it's about 35%. And then the last one that they mentioned is NASA staging the moon landing, <laughs> which this one was actually pretty close. White, yeah. <laughs> Like everyone else in the survey was like, this looks like about 10%. And then white evangelicals is like 15 or 12 or 18%. So that one's a little bit closer. I mean, to me, then the staging of the moon landing maybe is like less nefarious or whatever. So they don't think like, who cares, I guess, if you're. Yeah, I would have liked to see flat earth on here just to see. Yeah, yeah, that would have been interesting too. But um, there's also a chart in here that shows about the net favorability of QAnon by church attendance. And it's like, if you go to church once or more monthly, they were like a negative 50. If you go a few times a year, it was like negative 70. 
If you go sel- seldomly, it was basically the same. And then if you never go, it was like minus 80. So I'm not sure why they did it in negative numbers. Yeah, I think that zero is favorable. And then as you go negative, it's less favorable. So okay. if, you, if you're like at negative 100, it's like we are not favorable at all. At this group all. is okay. not favorable. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. But basically... The more you go to church, the more favorable your view of care of QAnon was. Yeah. And the less that you go, the less likely you would be to fall yeah. into a conspiracy theory like that. So let's talk a little bit about like why there's a correlation. And I'm going to be clear to say correlation, not causation, because <laughs> yes. there, there's not a direct cause, cause and effect between someone being religious and then believing in conspiracy theories. But there does seem to be a correlation, especially amongst like evangelicals that seems to, you know, link these two together. So what are some of the reasons why? And this is according to a couple of these articles that we'll post in the thing. The first one I think is really obvious to me that a belief in God primes people for a belief in ideas, other ideas that just are unproven. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure a Christian person doesn't want to hear that because they think that there is like all this evidence for God. But like the article, this person, this quote is actually from an executive director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton College was like, this is like the premier like Christian think tank. You know, it says people of faith believe that there is a divine plan, that there are forces of good and forces of evil at work in the world. QAnon is a train that runs on the tracks that religion has already put in place, which I mean, it's kind of a crazy thing for someone of his like stature to admit, (laughs) you know, you're at Wheaton College, which is like heavy right leaning evangelical and to admit that QAnon and religious faith are like on the same track is really kind of phenomenal. (laughs) Yeah. And so Christianity trains people to accept claims without evidence and then to disregard counter evidence. And this is what you have to do if you're going to be uh, believe in conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. Sort of like, I believe it. So it's true. And I can believe whatever I want. And I don't need evidence because right. this is what they do with Christianity. This is right. what they do with religion. Yeah. I believe it. I have a right to believe it. So it's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at all the failed rapture predictions that just keep happening and keep happening. But the people still believe in the rapture. So yeah. you know, when QAnon makes a bunch of predictions about things that they said were going to happen, like car bombings in London and Hillary Clinton being arrested and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then it doesn't happen. They're like, oh, who cares? Like, yeah, like you said, like they wait out in the field for Jesus to retard and then it doesn't happen. But Oh, um, he must have come spiritually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He didn't not come. They're just moving the goalposts. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, so on, on that, there's an Australian psychologist, um, Stephen or Stefan Lewandowski. He said that the evidence against QAnon can become evidence of its validity in the minds of believers. <laughs> and Q himself has dismissed his incorrect predictions as deliberately incorrect mm. and claimed that the disinformation is necessary. Mm, For some that's reason, interesting. it kind of ties into a point that I had listed above about the martyr or the victim mentality. It's like, oh, if there's a bunch of people saying that you're wrong, well, then you know that you must actually be right because a bunch of people are saying you're wrong. They want to believe that they're in the majority that they have like special knowledge. And so it's like, oh, well, all of you, all this persecution just proves that I'm right. You know, so mm-hmm. kind of, that kind of feeds right into that same idea. Yeah. And they think they're going to be right in the end. They're just waiting for like the storm to come. Right. Where everybody's going to be off the grid and we're going to have to live off of beans and on our bunkers. And at yeah. that time, everybody's going to realize that we were right. They're going to come to us. Mm-hmm. We're the experts. We're going to be vindicated. Yeah. Another reason why that evangelical Christians are kind of more susceptible to this stuff is that 
they're already success- susceptible because they're already anxious about the future, about the rapture, about heaven, about hell, the afterlife. It's not a bug. It's a feature. <laughs> you know, it's in there. It's baked right in. And so it makes logical sense in that when you have that framework to just follow suit and say, okay, well, all these other conspiracies make perfect sense because we got all kind of stuff to be nervous about in the future. Just add this to the list, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, just like a cult or a religion, the QAnon group has no self-correction process within it. Right. It's true followers, quote unquote, true followers are immune to correction, fact checking or counter speech. That's from Wikipedia. Mm. What does that sound like to you? Doesn't that sound like a cult? Yeah. And it sounds like anything that someone believes, you know, which we would say believing blindly, they would say, oh, no, I have plenty of evidence. But yeah, it's the same. It's this it's the poster same thing. online. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like an anonymous poster. How is that evidence? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So after Trump lost the 2020 election, Q, he stopped posting because one of his biggest prophecies was that Trump was going to win the 2020 election, mm-hmm. like in a landslide. Right. So that didn't happen. Right. And so his followers began searching his old posts and all his material searching for clues about more prophecies and uh, creating like new um new theories based off the right. first ones yeah yeah what does this seem like to you <laughs> doesn't this seem exactly like christianity yeah looking at the bible trying to figure out when jesus is going to come back mm-hmm. so look at like jesus being like an ap- apocalyptic preacher the whole time he was in ministry he was saying you know the kingdom was going to come before you know and certain people weren't going to taste death before the kingdom come. Well, then when he died, mm-hmm. they were like, oh, shit. So then they're like, we have to pivot now and make the kingdom is now a spiritual kingdom. Yeah, a new offshoot theory. Right. And then you just push it off and you just push it. And that's what they have done with anything that is proven or disproven or there's evidence to demonstrate that it's not real. Then they just kind of shift it and say, well, this is how yeah. it is. And that's conspiracy theories do the exact same thing. Right. So. And it's sort of like Jesus and the the writers of the, the Bible are like Q. Mm-hmm. And they stopped posting a long, long time ago. So now <laughs> all we have is this like old text that we just have to continually search and mine for a new meaning. Yeah. And this is what they're doing right now because I don't think that Q has posted in what, three years or something. So yeah, the thing about like his prophecy not coming true about the election was what pivoted into, oh, well, the election was stolen. Yes, exactly. And that's exactly yeah. where that came from because they were like, well, that didn't come true. So we have to have a way to still believe in this, even though the facts are directly against us. And that's Jesus came back spiritually. Yeah. It's analogous. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what happens in 2024 if he loses again. Then then what's going to happen to all these people like yeah. or if he wins then it's going to like come soaring back and they're going to be like see we were just off by 4 years and he's now the rightful yeah, we were of off the- by 4 years. Yeah, yeah, there you go. We yeah, were just, just off. They're just going to move the goalposts again, you know, yeah. but it's so very similar, you know, to a cult or to religion. Yeah. And there's a, I found a quote by Rachel Bernstein, uh, who is an expert on cults. And she said, what a movement such as QAnon has going for it and why it will catch on like wildfire is that it makes people feel connected to something important that other people don't yet know about. This is my insertion, like, like mystery religions. Yeah. And then she says, all cults will provide this feeling of being special. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's our, it's a, feature not a bug segment so hopefully everyone enjoyed that and we can continue the conversation about that on the facebook too yeah that was a great suggestion (laughs) 
today's topic, this has been, I think, a pet peeve on my mind for a while. And I think yours, we both blogged about it, but it's basically about the responses to deconstruction, the what we're calling kind of the myths of deconstruction as Christianity tries to explain deconstruction and deconversion. They come up with all these reasons to explain what's happening, to try to, they're really just trying to stem the tide of people leaving the faith and the church and leaving God. And of course, these explanations are not based in reality or fact, because most religious thought leaders haven't ever spoken to anyone who's actually (laughs) really left the faith to find out their real reasons. So what we're going to kind of do is we're going to try to debunk these myths. And I feel like some of this might be a little bit of preaching to the choir because people who are listening to this have already have probably heard a lot of these things, but maybe it will also help people respond to some of these. If you hear people say, oh, well, you just left because of this and that and the other thing. Obviously, everyone's deconstruction journey is highly personal and some of these responses might not make sense for you, but hopefully this will kind of debunk some of these myths and kind of give you a, a way to answer some of this foolishness. And then eventually I I would like to have an actual Christian on here who has spoken about these kinds of topics and tell them why we left and then see what they actually say in response to the real reasons why we left. Yeah. Have somebody on and, you know, that thinks that they understand deconstruction and be like, yeah, we'll give you an open floor. Like talk to us about why you think we left and then we'll tell you why you're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. That'd be so fun. That would be kind of fun. So the first like kind of introductory topic is like Christians are really afraid, I think, to dig into why people are deconstructing and deconverting because they're not really interested in the real reasons why we're leaving. They are trying to keep people in the church. They're trying to keep people from leaving. So they crafted these myths and then they preached them to their congregations, you know, as a way to keep them in because they know that people are looking up to them and they think that they have a direct line to God. So if your pastor says, oh, deconstruction is X, Y, and Z, they'll say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. The lead singer of Skillet, who is a um, pretty big, you know, musician in the Christian world, you know, he, there was a big article that came out in Relevant Magazine, I think it was a couple of years ago now, but he basically said, you know, it's time to go to war against the deconstruction movement, which is like, it's just like, what? why? Like, do you really need to put it into battle mode? Like, I don't think he's realizing that deconstruction is not new. Maybe that term applied to examining your religion is new, but people have been examining their religion since, quote unquote, Jesus Mm. came and was, quote unquote, crucified (laughs) right? and such and such. I mean, the church has changed so much and splintered so much, and that happened through the process of questioning and re-examination. It's not new. I don't know why these people are thinking that we're everybody who's deconstructing is doing something wrong. Yeah, even the Protestant Reformation was a deconstruction from Catholicism, basically. And I'm pretty sure nobody would be like, oh, Martin Luther, he was just a deconstructionist and he was powered by Satan. We might say that now, but you know. uh, Powered by Satan. Yeah. Be like a great bumper sticker or something (laughs) powered by Satan. Zero emissions. (laughs) Yeah, zero emissions powered by Satan. Yeah, but I think Christians in leadership, they're really afraid to discuss deconstruction because if they actually sat down with someone then they can't plead ignorance. Yeah. They may be forced to have to address the questions that we've had and that we've, and they may come to the same conclusion. And that's probably pretty scary for them. And if you hear any pastor who has deconverted, they say, I was afraid to ask these questions, but eventually they got too big and I just had to. That's why I really like listening to stories of pastors who've deconverted. Cause it's like, it's like, if anybody was all the way in, 
It was them. You know, it was them, you know. So so let's get into some of these. Yeah. A lot of these were submitted by you guys on the Facebook page. So thanks for that. We we may or may not be able to get to everyone that everybody submitted, but we'll we'll do our best. So the first one, that's probably everyone's favorite. People failed you, not God. Or the other version of that is, well, you're just offended and you don't understand that people are not perfect, but the church slash God is. Yeah. So I think it's not a very good reflection on God if his church is corrupt. (laughs) So I get it. Humans aren't perfect. Why would they be like on a naturalistic framework or a religious framework? But but because we're sinners is such a good excuse when it's convenient. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about morality or, or like how you know Christianity is true, oh, it's because of the moral fruits that Mm -hmm. we bear. Right. And that can only come from God. It's like, look at the fruit. So which is it? Right. Yeah. It's like, you can't say, look at the fruit when it's only good fruit. And then when it's shitty fruit, don't look at the fruit, don't look at the fruit, you know, because like, I I remember there was, you know, the popular phrase and it would turn into like t-shirts, you know, and Hey, we're not perfect. We're just forgiven, you know? And that was a blanket Mm. cover to basically explain away any kind of evil that happened in the church yeah oh well hey we're not perfect god loves us anyway in spite of our flaws right but we're still morally superior to you right but we're still better than you yeah and and the other thing that ties into is that you were hurt by the church that was the other thing i was going to say it all kind of ties into you were hurt by the church it was the people it wasn't god from my own personal experience i experienced like an insane amount of hurt from the church like i was a preacher's kid My dad got fired from a church, you know, when I was like eight or 10 years old. And it was like devastating to me as a kid. And then when I went on later to serve in churches, I saw a lot of like behind the scenes shit that I didn't like, but never, 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 never in that time did I ever consider, oh, this is because of God. I was just like, oh, these people are flawed. You know, they're sinners. It never crossed my mind to say, oh, I need to leave this faith system because of the hurt that I've experienced. Yeah. And if they do leave, I think that the hurt, it may have just been the impetus for the deconstruction and Mm -hmm. the re-examination. If you actually believe that it's true, you're not going to leave the entire religion and say you don't believe in God just because you're hurt. Right. But it may start it. Yeah, it could definitely trigger questions and then yeah. maybe you you know dig into some other things. And I mean, I, th- I think that's also true in general of all of the reasons why people leave. N- no one person have I ever met who has left Christianity that says this one thing happened and I was out. Right. But it was a death by a thousand cuts. It was like this, it was this and this. And then finally, at some point, you know, the shelf breaks or and you're like, okay, now I'm out. Yeah. At my church, I was never really hurt, but there were some hurtful comments that I heard people make. Mm-hmm. Like the pastor from the pulpit said, you know, that mental health was not a real thing and that we shouldn't go to therapists. We should just read our Bible and that <laughs> kids should not be in daycare because women should not be, you know, <laughs> those kinds of things pissed me off. And it really got me closer to the step where I was willing to question. Yeah. And I think it, even if you kind of dissect the idea of like people are not perfect but the church slash god is if you hear anybody talk about the church what's the first thing they say about the church well the church isn't the building it's the people yeah so how can the church be perfect if it's made up of people so that's right out the window and then how can god be perfect we have all said in previous episodes like there's a thousand ways that any person can come up with a better way to be god another thing this misses is that we left because we don't think this is true anymore that's the bottom line Mm -hmm. And I think this is probably going to get repeated throughout yes. in response to all of these. <laughs> yeah. We left because we don't think it's true, not because we were hurt. Yeah. It's not about the church. It's not about the people. It's like basically what you told me about God isn't true. And for that reason, I am out. 
Yep. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is this is a hilarious one. I remember April yeah. and Joy talking about this one, but I know. you know, uh that deconstruction is sexy. She has a hilarious video about yes, deconstruction does. being sexy too. So we'll maybe we'll link to that too. But Matt Chandler, who is I don't really even know who he is except he's for a just, pastor of a Baptist church somewhere. Matt Chandler said deconstruction and turning away from and leaving the faith has become sort of sexy thing to do. I contend that if you ever experience the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ actually, that it's really impossible to deconstruct from. Ooh, this is so ridiculous that <laughs> it's like trendy or sexy for people to deconstruct. I know. You're not doing it because it's like, oh, it's cool. Because like people see their peers doing it and it's right. something that they were previously afraid to do or had never thought to do before. You're more yeah. likely to do it to do it yourself. No, it's not like peer pressure to smoke cigarettes. Like, because no. you thought, oh, my friends are deconstructing. I should do it too. It's fun. Like, no, like most people you hear deconstruction, like ruins their life for a little while. Like it, yes. it fractures family. their family relationship, their friends. Like they find out that all the friends that they had in their Christian church or whatever, weren't really their friends. They were just people that had a common belief system. And that's the only reason that they're together. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just not, there's nothing sexy about it. Like, no. Yeah. If you want to hear about my sexy experience, well, first of all, I started deconstructing before I even knew what that meant. Right. And I was all the way deconverted before I even heard of the term deconstruction. So right. I could not possibly have done it because it was trendy. Mm -hmm. But during my deconversion, there were a good few weeks where I was so anxious and stressed out about the transition from my Christian identity to an atheist identity that the stress manifested physically in my body. Yeah. Same with my husband when yeah. we, we kind of went through it sort of at the same time. Mm -hmm. Why would I put myself through that just to look sexy? And plus, right. who am I looking sexy for? Because there was nobody there to witness it. Yeah. It's like you're not bragging about like, oh, man, I really got indigestion and an ulcer because I'm <laughs> yeah. leaving my faith. Isn't that hot? Like, no. <laughs> Isn't my ulcer hot? Sexy? Yeah, like, no, no, it's not. Like, I mean, this kind of goes to the idea that like Christians are mostly doing a lot of things for outward show. And so they think mm. since we do things for a lot of outward show, oh, those heathens must really be doing them for outward show. I didn't put that together. That's interesting. Nobody's deconstructing because it's sexy. It's a hard pass on this one. So to kind of explain like why it might appear to be trendy right now, I came up with this sort of analogy. Mm. So imagine a community where nobody ever saves for retirement. And then a few people discover that it's wise to save for retirement. So they start doing it. And mm. then they start telling people that they're doing it. Now more people are going to save for retirement because A, they know about it. They see that others have been positively influenced by it and that it's a smart thing to do. So yes, they are positively influenced by their peers to save for retirement. Does that mean that they're saving for retirement because it's sexy or trendy? Right. No, it means that they're just discovering something that they should be doing. Right. And there's also like, if you're not saving for retirement, there's measurable negative consequences to that. And then someone who yeah. discovers saving for retirement, there's measurable positive outcomes that come from that. There's no measurable positive outcome in the realm of sexiness from walking away from your faith. Like, yeah, it hasn't made my life better in the public sphere because now I'm an atheist humanist. Like, if anything, it would make it more difficult in the public sphere because people hear you're an atheist and they're like, oh, well, how do you yeah, have any, exactly. mora how do you have any morality? Like, <laughs> yeah. And I also just kind of extended this analogy in my mind that if there was like somebody who benefited from you not saving for retirement, like uh, the businesses around who you would spend money on otherwise, mm -hmm. 
they're the ones who are going to be like, oh, don't listen to those retirement savers. You right. know, and they're going to spout out all these reasons why yeah. everybody's saving for retirement now. Yeah, yeah. Because it, it's not benefiting them if you right. save for retirement. Which is exactly the reason why the church is like, hey, don't deconstruct. You, it, yeah. You're taking away our benefits because right? you're not in church tithing and paying for my big children's wing and my big projectors. You know, like, so yeah, that's that's a really good analogy. Another personal favorite of mine is you were never really a Christian. Okay. This you may were. be true. <laughs> this may be true for some people, but for me. For, well, yeah, but first, like, I think we need to address the main thing. Who's to say who was really a Christian? Because the Bible says in many places that only God knows the heart and he's the only one that can judge. So you can't now look at my life that was fully invested in Christianity or your life that was questioning and skeptical and say, oh, well, she wasn't a real Christian. And how could you say that about you and then say it about me at the same time? Yeah. You can't do that because it doesn't make sense. And who are you to judge? So many people were missionaries, pastors, worship leaders. We were like fully invested in this thing down to our core. So you you can't like argue with the resume of a lot of the deconstructed people or deconverted people. Like, yeah, yeah. When these atheists, like when they do cite their Christian resumes as proof that they were real Christians, the response we get from the Christian community is, well, that's just works. That doesn't reflect what is really in your heart. That's not your faith. Right. But if that were true, then you can't tell if anyone is a Christian ever. Right. Because you can't tell what is in somebody's heart right. just by looking or talking with them. And you, if you can't tell by their works, we can't judge anybody as being a Christian right. ever. Especially when the Bible says many times, faith without works is dead. And by your fruits, will you will know them. Yeah. And again, that's like you said earlier. It's like, oh, if the fruits don't prove the point that I'm trying to make, well, then ignore the fruits. So if you want to look at the fruit of a devout Christian's life and then try to come back and say that that person was never really a Christian, they were just doing it to go through the motions. Uh -uh. Nobody's going through the motions of Christianity for 40, 50, 60 years and then just walking fun. and then and then walking away from it and then say, oh, I really never believed any of that anyway. <laughs> you know, you just don't hear that from the people who are like, not know, the real, people who are really like hardcore. Yeah. yeah. For me, I was just going to church and then coming home and then yeah. yeah, I didn't really believe it for a long time. Yeah, and it, that still goes back to the point of like, how can someone say that that isn't really a Christian? Because there's probably a lot of people that do that. You know, they just are putting on a show. Yeah. But does that mean that they're not really a Christian? I don't know. What about the people that never deconvert, but live like absolute animals? Let's take your average pastor who's abusing women or children in the church. Is that person really a Christian? I think mm. it depends. Yeah, it, like It depends on the people. If they're receiving tithing, they're a Christian. <laughs> If they're if that person reflects badly on them, then they're not a Christian. Right, right. It just depends on what the purpose is. Yeah, and it really comes down. It really turns into. It leads into our next uh, myth. You know, it's like these people want to be God. You know, oh they're yeah, basically they want saying, to be their own God. They want they want to be God and say who's a Christian, but then they turn to us. And our next myth is like, well, you just wanted to be your own God, but really, those people are the ones that are trying to play God and say who's a Christian and who's not. Yeah. But anyway, the the yeah. So the next myth is you just wanted to be your own God. Which and I've heard this said at my church, my church growing up and my adult church. Like when they talk about people leaving Christianity or whatever. Not leaving Christianity. I don't think that was really on their radar with okay. people leaving, but just non-Christians okay, yes. for their own gods. Yeah, yeah. They wanted to be in charge of their own lives and 
make their own decisions and do their own thing. And oh no, not that. That was that was looked down upon. Yeah. When I hear this, I came up with this response. Do you not believe in unicorns because you want to be your own unicorn? <laughs> the statement that they're making assumes the conclusion that right. God is real. It's a coherent concept and it necessarily exists. Right. Like it's a ridiculous statement to say you don't believe in God because you want to be your own God. Yeah, no, it's stupid. And it also like makes the point that just because someone wants personal autonomy doesn't mean they want to be God, quote unquote. Yeah. There's plenty of people that have no clue about God or religion that have personal autonomy and they live like perfectly happy lives and they don't think they're being their own God. They're just living a normal life. <laughs> yeah. Only for people that have a history with God do they have this idea of like, oh, I have to do things to please God or whatever. That's the only way that that makes a lot of sense, you know? When you think about a God, it's like something supernatural, something that can intervene, answer prayers. We can't do that. Right. So how can we be our own God? All yeah. we can do is live our lives. And if we're doing that without a God, then you don't need a God. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the idea of being your own God, we can mark that one debunked. Yeah. And it, it kind of ties into the next one. You just want to sin. <laughs> yeah. I love that one. Yeah. Well, first off, well, you talk about this one because I think this was your response to the sin one. Yeah. Well, it's that we literally don't believe in sin anymore because right. a sin is like an infraction against a God. Right. So if you don't believe in a God, you can't believe in sin. So the whole thing is irrelevant. Right. But a lot of us don't even change our behavior after we deconvert. Like I right. didn't change my behavior that much. No. Barely at all. I think as soon as you deconvert... Well, now I'm going to go out and like drink and smoke and fornicate and, yeah. you know, all this kind of stuff. Drink but, coffee. Yeah. Dr Depending on <laughs> what religion you're if, in. If you're a Mormon. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. But the reality is, is like the Christians are sinning like motherfuckers. Like, yeah, just as much because you can just say a prayer and be forgiven. Right. And we can't. When I was growing up as a kid and I was a preacher's kid, the general adage about preacher's kid is like, oh, that preacher's kids are the worst because they were notoriously rebellious, which was about the worst sin that I ever did because I was just an argumentative debater, which we learned from my 16 personalities, you know? Yeah. My best friend growing up was also a preacher's kid whose dad was the pastor of the church that we went to. She was into drugs, drinking. She was having sex with people. She eventually got AIDS. This is the oh person. My that, this is my friend that posts now about how she still believes in God because he's brought her through so much stuff. That's the same friend. Uh -huh. My question is, if you're sinning that much as a Christian, wh why would I need to deconvert to sin? Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, you can sin as much as you want as a Christian, and then you can just get for forgiveness. And then the pastor, uh, the dad of that kid eventually got fired from the church that I grew up in because he was cheating on his wife with a woman oh, that he was that one, supposedly yeah. counseling, you know, in his therapy practice that he didn't have a license oh. for. So the bottom line is you can't say that we just deconverted because we want to sin because by and large, most of us are not running off to quote unquote sin for one, because sin's not real. And for two, the things that you might view as sin are most of the time just normal human things. I mean, sexuality is the thing that people want to target all the time, mm -hmm. but that's because most of us grew up in impurity culture, you know, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, that purity culture was extremely damaging to me. I need to find out who I am sexually. Yeah. Like I got married as a Christian and did the whole purity thing all the way up until marriage. And then 10 years later of living God's way, wound up getting divorced. And 
I still had that purity culture mindset and divorce. And I was like, but I was also questioning a lot of this like faith stuff too. And I was like, oh wait, so what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. Is it post-marital sex now? So yeah. ooh, I had to, I had to mentally justify that to myself when I shouldn't have to. I was like a 36 year old dude. Right. Like, you know, I shouldn't have to be thinking about like what God thinks about what I do in the bedroom. You know, it's ridiculous. So yeah. the idea of wanting to sin kind of falls flat. Right. We should stay Christians if we want to sin. <laughs> right. Because then at least you have forgiveness. So I guess that works out. But yeah. All right. This is another good one. And these, I think these next two kind of are related. Yeah, they are. That, you know, you don't understand the gospel well enough. You studied wrong. You should have asked your pastor and learned more or better. You didn't have a good foundation. Ah. Uh. <laughs> your response to this is really funny i hadn't even thought but of this but i don't think the gospel is that complicated it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand it <laughs> right i was four right you were four yeah can it be summed up in one verse john three sixteen? right and also you studied wrong you should have asked your pastor learned more better okay how long in fact do you need to study in order to grasp the whole thing right. well enough and have a good foundation right isn't that like a really high ask for single parents or any parents yeah any parents yeah struggling to make their rent payments they have to work but now they need to be bible scholars in order to be safe <laughs> right they have to have a master's in divinity to be able to properly build a foundation right. for their kid it reminds me of the good place and how oh, ooh, spoilers spoiler alert people were going to the bad place because they couldn't get enough points to go to the good place because the world was so screwed up. The system was just right. against them. That's how this is. If you need to be a Bible scholar to get into heaven, the system is against everybody. Right. And the funny thing about you know salvation is you hear every pastor say, the message of the gospel is simple. Even a child can understand it. But then as soon as you deconvert, mm. they're like, oh, well, it's too complicated. You you didn't understand it. So that's why you, you couldn't have fully believed it. Well, Last I checked, you told me it was simple. And like you said, like there's a million verses that are all very straightforward of how to become a Christian. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, period. There's not much more to that. Also, the people, the early Christians didn't even have a Bible. <laughs> right. So what, what about them? Right. And the other thing is that like theology is not like chemistry where there's there's like laws and rules and you can mm -hmm. perform experiments and see how things work out. Humans just make up theology. Right. So the people who wrote the Bible, they made it up. They didn't even do it cohesively, which is why we get people who don't understand it or <laughs> studied it wrong. And why we have people who say like, well, my church didn't do it that way because mm -hmm. there's like 40,000 denominations right. <laughs> who all think they have it right. So yeah. how are you supposed to exactly make sure that you are learning right? Right. I mean, it's like Rachel Held Ev said, Evan said in her like first book, it's like what you believe is directly related to where you were born. So yeah. like th there's no way I could have learned it any differently than where I was brought up and the parents that I had and they taught me, you know, what they taught me. I couldn't have learned it any better. And you can't tell somebody that has a double master's in divinity and has been pastoring a church for 30 years that they didn't study right. <laughs> yeah. And just because they walked away. They came to a conclusion based on 30 years of evidence that just didn't make sense anymore. And they were like, okay, I'm out. Yeah. And I would like to ask these people who say, well, you just don't understand the gospel and you don't know what I know. I would like to sit down with them and say, Okay, then tell me what I need to know in order for this to make sense to me and for me to believe it. 
Right. I guarantee you there is nothing they could say that would make me believe it. And right. so then what? We're at an impasse. Right. And this leads into another one that Alex, our, uh, who was on the podcast last season, who is was a former Mormon, he said that they, they have a term that they call the lazy learner. It's actually... He's got a TM next to it, which is funny. Like the Mormon church trademarked the idea of the lazy learner. And as I've said now, like four times, it's pretty safe to say that most people who are deconverted, they know the Bible better than most Christians. Like if you ever want to actually deconvert, just talk to someone who knows the Bible really well, because reading, knowing the Bible really well makes atheists. Absolutely. Yeah. And it backfires. If you tell somebody to go read your Bible, like I'm sure my parents would tell me, just go read your Bible more and right. then you'll believe it. Yeah. I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. If, if any case, it probably would make someone leave faster if they read yeah. the Bible, like through the lens of not confirmation bias. If you're reading the Bible to actually try to understand it. I really think I would have left faster if I had read the Bible more. Right. <laughs> you, I really you, do. Yeah. This is another good one. Oh, you're just a liberal who's been indoctrinated or radicalized by colleges or secular edu- education. I know plenty of liberal Christians. They still believe yeah, in it. My best friend. Yeah. Like, well, if my faith was based in truth, it couldn't be broken by liberal college. Yeah. That's like saying your physics got broken because you went to college and then they told you <laughs> something about yeah. physics and now you don't believe in physics anymore. Well, you can't do that because the principles of physics you know, are constant. Right. And I think Lars is the one who says this a lot like that. If you're going to make, um, well, it wasn't Lars, but it was somebody else who says like, if you're going to make extraordinary claims then you have to have extraordinary evidence, maybe that was Christopher Hitchens. That was Christopher Hitchens. Yeah. And then Lars said something else and it's, it went right out of my mind when I started Lars to say Lars is going to be so flattered when you Lars, him I'm putting up you in, the, in a category with Christopher Lars says something else that was along those same lines and then it vanished straight from my head and I could only <laughs> think of the Christopher Hitchens thing. But yeah, if you're, if you're going to make claims, then they should stand. Oh, he says they should stand up to scrutiny. That's what he says. Okay. And if your claims don't stand up to scrutiny, that's not the fault of the liberal secular college. It's the fault of your shitty claim that has no evidence. So Yeah. And and the, the fact remains that Jesus and the tenets of the gospel have nothing to do with being liberal or conservative. Right. Democrat or Republican. Right. It's completely independent. It's just in our society recently where it's become politicized. Yeah. All right. The next one, another good one. Oh, you're just mad or angry at God. I don't know that anybody was mad at God and that's the reason that they left. I feel like the anger comes after you leave. Mm-hmm. After you realize it's not true, well, then you're mad because you're the like, lies. oh shit, like I've been living a, based on lies and fallacies my whole life. And rightly so, you should get mad about that. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with it. But people aren't leaving because they're mad at God. I, do you know anybody that left because they were just mad at no, God? But- no. And I think if you substitute the word unicorn again, <laughs> do you not believe in unicorns because you're angry at unicorns? Right. That makes zero sense. Right. It doesn't make sense. All right. This is another good one. Like, And you'll see people say this kind of subtly, but like, well, you just chose to walk away from God. And you'll see this when they say, well, you made this choice. God gives us free will. But if you talk to any person who's deconverted, almost none of us like made a conscious choice to walk away from it, we got to a place where we actually just could not believe in it anymore. Yeah. And I think Bart Campolo, when we had him on, was the one that said that specific phrase that really resonated resonated with me. It's like, I just can't believe this anymore. In the same way that you would talk to a Christian and say, do you believe in Allah as your savior? They would say, no, I can't. I totally agree. But it also brings up an interesting discussion about free will too. Because they always want to bring up free will when people choose to sin and when they choose to become a Christian and when they choose to walk away. 
But like, again, if there's an all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful God, shouldn't he know that I was going to walk away? Yeah. And like, wouldn't he work harder to make sure that I didn't? Or not make you in the first place. Right. Like there's, there's a whole discussion there about free will that, you know, I'm not sure anybody chooses anything in the, re- in the realm of an omnipotent, all-knowing God. Yeah. And you definitely can't choose your beliefs. Right. Absolutely not. Because you can't force yourself to believe in, I don't know, anything. Like, make yourself believe in fairies. Yeah, you can't. You, yeah, you can't force yourself to believe in anything. But, all right, on to the next one. How many more of these do we got? We got a few more. Oh, all we right. definitely got to do the devil one. Yeah, you were deceived by the devil Ooh. with a capital D. <laughs> Scary. So, I found a, a YouTube video that was just shown to me in my feed. And I won't <laughs> link to it because it's stupid. I'm going to quote it, and I've consolidated this for brevity. So this is how it goes: When we say that Satan is the Hold father, on, you have to put on you have to put on your white Christian um, like YouTuber voice, where they talk like, "I'm just saying that Satan is the father of deconstruction," and <laughs> it's just because he's come up with a really good scheme. <laughs> he uses a lot of legitimate critiques, like spiritual abuse, the hypocrisy that people have observed, bad theology in a lot of evangelical churches. Sure, we'll concede all of that. Oh, I'm so tired of talking like that. Mm-hmm. I'm so and hard. In this video, there's a guy in the background that's going, mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right on, sister. <laughs> yeah, uh, go on. But then, okay. But then Satan has wrapped it up in this nice little bow of like, you know what? The problem is actually the beliefs. And that's why he's the father of deconstruction. Because he's like, you just need to follow your heart, man. And this is exactly <laughs> what he did with Eve in the garden. <laughs> End quote. Maybe we should link to the post of this because it's just, it's so amusing to watch her say it. She says it with such sincerity. Yeah. And like, if you're in that space, it makes perfect sense of what they're saying. Oh, yeah. Um, Satan just wants you to believe whatever you want. So it's really Satan is the father of deconstruction. I mean, but then that's mm. the whole thing of make, making Satan the boogeyman for everything. It's so convenient and useful for Christianity. Yeah. And but that's basically what Christians will say whenever anything goes wrong in their own life. Oh, well, you know, I'm just really in a spiritual battle with the powers of darkness. And so, of course, it makes sense when someone leaves that, of course, we would have been deceived by the devil. But in order to be deceived by the devil, the devil has to be real. And there's no evidence for that. No evidence for devil. Yeah. Anything that could be used against Christianity like they call it the devil misleading you. <laughs> right. Um, and we've heard Satan be blamed for all sorts of bad things happening, um, for people leaving the church, even for planting fossils in the ground. Right. Like if you're a young earth creationist, a young earth creationist. this devil piece is just it makes it so that Christianity can't ever be falsified. Right. Anything that could falsify it, that's the devil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It makes me think of what's that Adam Sandler movie where uh he plays football? Um Waterboy. Yeah, Waterboy. And the mom is like, football is the devil, you know? Oh, that's right. It's the same thing. Like, you just, the devil is everything. And the devil is an easy scapegoat for everything. And so. That reminds me. Have you seen the movie, Paul? No. With um, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg? I have not. Oh, it's really good. You need to watch it. Note to self. I just rewatched it the other day. And I forgot, like, how anti-religion it is. Uh It's so good. And then there's a a woman um, who's played by Kristen Wiig. She's a young earth creationist and she gets her eyes opened to the reality of the universe. And at first she's like, no, no, you're Satan. Come to <laughs> deceive me. And I was like, wow, this is so familiar. Yeah. This is just spot on. That's so funny. You need to watch it. Speaking about the vastness of the universe, a little sidebar. I'm reading a book by Bill Nye's book, Undeniable. Have you read that? 
No. Oh, it's really good. Um, but he's like just spelled N Y E able, like London N Y E able. He apparently not that clever. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it's he should have talked to me first. He really should have. He would have sold oodles of copies with your yes. help. Undeniable. Yes. He really should have done that. I mean, come on, missed opportunity, M- missed opportunity, Bill. But it's a really good book, and he he breaks it down really well. He's talking about deep time and all that kind of stuff. But so side plug, if you're interested in learning about evolution and all that stuff. Bill Nye's book, Undeniable. Quite good. All right, let's move on to the next one. It was all head knowledge. You didn't let it go to your heart. You never truly experienced Christ. Like you might've had the head knowledge, but you never had a heart connection or experience. Your faith was Mm. just based on following the rules, not truly experiencing forgiveness. I love this one. Have you ever asked him to show himself to you? This is submitted from somebody on the Facebook and I kind of put several of them together. The, The ending of that is great. Have you ever asked him to show himself to you. No, we never did. And the entirety of our time <laughs> as Christian as Christians, we <laughs> never asked God to show himself to us. Why didn't I think of that? It's only what we did all day, every day. Yeah. It's the last thing I did before I got rid of all of my Bibles. And right. It's it's only books. the thing we did all day, every day. Like, please yeah. show yourself like anytime now would be great. This brings up the, uh, the thing of like, is salvation based on experience or is it based on the decision to accept Christ? Because if it's based on the decision, well, then it really doesn't matter what your experience is. So that debunks that myth right off the bat. Uh, the Bible says it clearly many times. All you got to do, believe on the Jesus, on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. Did the thief on the cross experience believing in Christ? No, he was on a freaking cross and then he died. So maybe he truly didn't experience. It was just head knowledge on the cross there as his as he yeah. suffocated to death. Or maybe it was Pascal's wager. We'll never know. Yeah, yeah. So the head knowledge thing is it's a, also another convenient scapegoat. Well, in that case, all Lutherans aren't Christians because to them. In my experience, it's all head knowledge and no heart. Like zero emotion is involved <laughs> right. in this at all. There's no such thing as like accepting Jesus into your heart or praying the sinner's prayer. It's all about, do you know what ha- what Jesus did for you and do you believe it? And that's it. Yeah. And if that's the if that's the basis for salvation, then the experience is irrelevant. Yep. Debunked. Next. This is one actually, I'm curious to hear like how you respond to this one. Okay. I haven't even read this one, so this will be off the cuff. This is basically Pascal's wager. You know, but what if you're wrong? The worst thing that could happen if I'm wrong is that I lived a better life. The worst thing that could happen to you if you're wrong is that you go to hell forever. Okay. If you're right, then you get to go to heaven and, you know, happy go lucky. For one thing, a real God that's omniscient would be able to tell the difference between true belief and the Pascal's wager type of belief. Right. Presumably. Right. (laughs) And the other thing is that if you devote your life to a religion that's wrong, that has rules and expectations, and you're making sacrifices in your life to follow that religion, then the worst that happens to you isn't that you lead a better life. Mm -hmm. It's that you're giving up a lot of your life for nothing. Right. And that matters. You're living a life where everyone is viewed as other, viewing a life where you think you're morally superior, you're judging everybody. You look at the entire world as if they have like that they're lost and they're blind and they're a leper and that you have the magical cure. That is not a better life. And the Pascal's wager of Christianity is ignoring all the other religions that might be true. Like, which God are we talking about? Which heaven, which hell are you going to be sent to? Yeah. And the and the other flaw in this, too, is like it also is based on the idea that God exists at all. Yeah. So you have to have that as a as basically an accepted premise. I mean, yeah, and if if you substitute 
like Zeus. So if you don't believe in Zeus, he's going to zap you with lightning. But if you believe in Zeus, you have to give him 10% of your salary for the rest of your life and give up some of your time and blah, 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 and do all this other stuff. Right. Who would think that was a good idea? (laughs) Nobody would think that would be a good reason to believe in Zeus just because somebody told you that. Yeah, it's definitely definitely a flawed flawed Mm -hmm. argument. It was one that, that for, for the longest time was one that really like bothered me because I was like, oh. well, yeah, but what if you're wrong? What if I'm wrong? What's what's I was like, oh, what's the harm of believing in it? But then I started to realize, oh, there are all these actual harms. <laughs> all right. I think the last one in here, there's a YouTube video that this person posted to go along with this. And it, it basically went into the idea of like a naturalistic argument of why people leave a high control group, but others remain is related to their parents. The video kind of I watched part of it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Um, but it basically boils down to the idea that if you don't have a strong role model in uh, as far as like an adult who walks the walk and talks the talk, then you're more likely to walk away and become an atheist, which I don't know where that really comes from, because you and I certainly debunked that because both of our yeah. parents were s- s- extremely devout, mm-hmm. walking the walk, talking the talk, and we still bounced right out the door. So, yeah. Plus, if this is true, they're directly admitting that you are more likely to get into heaven if you're lucky enough to get parents who are like this. Right. And if you don't, then you're at a severe disadvantage. Right. Who set up this system, this yeah. extremely unfair system? They're God. To wrap up this topic, like I think it's important to wrap this up with, you know, why we really did leave. Mm-hmm. And there there are some factors that were stepping stones. I think we said earlier, like it was a death by a thousand cups. A lot of people have a lot of different stepping stones of where they get to. Like for me, like a big stepping stone for me was like discovering the problems in the Bible, the mm-hmm. inconsistencies, the historical inaccuracies, the scientific stuff that was wrong, the even just the scribal errors. As I learned about that stuff, I was like, how could that book be inerrant? And because I was raised as a person who was a biblical inerrantist that believed that it was a perfect book written and inspired by God, that was a huge knock you know, in my armor. It was a huge chink, chink in the armor. That isn't a big problem for some people like Bart Ehrman. He was the New Testament scholar and he said, that's not the reason I walked away, even though I found all this stuff. What are some other reasons that people really walk away? Um, I think that the the problem of suffering or the problem of evil is a huge one because a lot of people, including myself, can't reconcile the reality of our world and all of the horrible things that people experience with the the tri-omni God. Yeah. And especially we did an episode about this, the problem of animal suffering, you know, like the idea of natural suffering in the world. If you take out the human suffering completely, you can just look at the animal world and say, how could there be a, a loving God that would allow this kind of framework to exist? You know, so that's a huge problem. And there is issues with, you know, hypocrisy in leaders, you know, that might trickle someone down the down the road of like questioning deconstruction. But really the bottom line is, and we said this, I think right at the very top, we simply came to the point that there was no evidence to support that it was true. That's it. That's all there is. I don't know. It's almost like a relief because I think some people would struggle with like having a conversation with someone about their deconversion and deconstruction. But if you can boil it down to this, it wasn't true. There's no evidence for it being true. And then if you want to have a further conversation with that person from there, great. But if you start from that framework saying, show me the evidence, (laughs) you know, you don't have to have a long argumentative conversation. It can just be like... I don't see the evidence. Not only is there no evidence for it, but there's evidence against it. 
Right. Which is even more damning. Yeah. It's funny because like there's all these explanations from Christians of, of trying to explain away deconstruction and deconversion, but they don't, they're not interested in those real reasons. They just yeah. want a framework. For to straw keep, man reasons. Yeah. They want to have their, keep their power structure together so they can keep people in. And the frustrating thing is that it is enough to placate Christians who are still in the church and to keep them from deconstructing. Yeah. Because if they think they understand why we are doing it, why we did it, then they won't do it themselves. Right. Because, oh, there's nothing to it. Yeah. They just did it because of all these reasons that aren't valid. <laughs> yeah. And when you have all that confirmation bias to support the way they explain it, then it makes sense. Yeah. Right. You have to use your confirmation bias. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is really sad and frustrating that these real, these real problems with the Bible and with the religion are just getting ignored and glossed over just to keep people, to keep more people from wandering away. Right. They need to maintain their control of their flock. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, power and control. Thanks for listening to the Flawed Theology Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Susie. Tune in next time where we will continue to tackle the question, if your theology were wrong, wouldn't you want to know? And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Flawed Theology Podcast. Join our Facebook group called Dangerous Questions. And be sure to like, subscribe, and review us on the various podcast platforms. And we will see you next time. See you next time. recording in progress all right Ooh, it's been a long day all right welcome to the th flawed <laughs> there's a there's a blunder right off the bat it wasn't me this time yeah what the hell is this show called if the microphone just picked up that sound it's gonna make a really funny outtake because was it purring no i i my chair is a yoga ball chair and I just tried to like put my leg up and it went. So kind of like a fart sound. Yeah, it's a fart sound. Hold on. Okay. Let's see I was like, that's going to sound like I just ripped ass right in the middle of the episode. <laughs> I thought it was a cat purring. <laughs> <laughs>